So I was having a, a dream one night. When I woke up in the morning, I thought, where did that dream come from? That was not really good. And then a, a passage of Scripture uh, sprung into my mind. It's from Matthew in chapter 12. It was the words of Jesus. This is the passage that came into my mind when I had that dream. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. That's what Jesus said. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. But an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil things. And that morning years ago, I remember just kind of rolling over my bed and praying this prayer, God, please don't let my heart be a treasure of evil things. I want my heart to be a treasure of good things. Now, in the Sundays in January and the first uh, Sunday or two in February, I want to talk to you about how your heart can be a treasure of good things. And these messages are going to be a mixture of biblical exposition and personal testimony. We won't always do that, of course, but for the first month here or so of the year, what I want to do is I want to share with you from my life about how I have been seeking God to make my heart a treasure of things that are good. And I trust that uh, when you hear these passages and when you hear our, my testimony, the testimony of our, really of our family, that your heart will be stirred to make your heart a treasure of good things and that you'll understand how to make your heart a treasure of good things. Now, now first, a word of caution, because the way the, the messages are going to work, we're going to go from one passage to another, it's going to sound a little bit like we're cherry-picking favorite phrases from the Bible, and that's always a, a really bad idea, because you can get yourself into some serious trouble doing that, right? You know that. It's a little bit like the little stack of cards on the table, and you can just pick out a card, and you don't pay any attention to the context, you don't pay any attention to the backstory, you don't pay any attention to the big story, you just pick it out, and then you say, this applies to my life. It's just one notch above, if that, uh, breaking open a fortune cookie and actually believing that's going to give you some good guidance uh, in life. You're in for a big surprise. Oh. This is not likely to work out well. Oh, that's not the way we treat the Bible, right? And that's not the way that I'm treating the Bible. So these cautions, let me give you three things here. First of all, when you, when you study any passage of Scripture, get the backstory. Get the backstory. In other words, you want to know the immediate context. It's really not that hard to do that. If you got it in the Bible, you can kind of go to the beginning of the book and you can just read the little introduction in your Bible or you can get a study Bible like the like the John MacArthur Study Bible, which is probably the mother of all current study Bibles, or the, that, it's funny when you're new, people don't know when you're trying to be funny. You know, it's like, um, or the ESV Study Bible is a very good study Bible. Uh, anyway, a, a study Bible would, would go, let you dig a little bit deeper, or of course you have online resources. My point is, get the backstory. In other words, here are some questions you can ask in any passage of Scripture, like who wrote this? And what were the circumstances of its writing? And who was he writing to? Or who was she writing to? There's one passage, one book of the Bible, we're not sure who wrote it. Maybe it was a girl, right? So uh, who was he or she writing to? Um, and, 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 what, and what were the circumstances? How would they have read this? How would they have understood this? How would they have felt about this? What were the emotions connected with that? The affections connected with that? 
Any passage, you should understand the backstory, right? That's, that's super important. That's another way of saying that is don't take things out of their context. But maybe a favorite way of mine is just to ask this question, how would the original, what did the original author mean, and how would the original audience have understood this? And that's really a big question that when you answer it, much of the Scripture opens up in a powerful way. Another th- question you ask, you know, what's the backstory? Is the immediate context. Another question that you can ask is, well, where does this fit in the big story? So the Bible is an incredible book. And if you're, a, 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 you know, if you've been saved a while, know the Lord, been a Jesus follower for a while, and you're serious about the Bible, the more serious you are about the Bible, the more you study the Bible, the more you dig in the Scriptures, the more you go, wow, this book is not just You know, a happy little uh, gathering of of unrelated stories. It it comes from the the great mind and heart of God through through men, through the hands of men and the hearts of men, and it is all wonderfully interrelated. It's connected in a divine and powerful way. The more that you study, the more you realize you can't study a passage. For instance, if you were to take the Revelation and you were to read it without having read the Old Testament and understood the Old Testament, then there would be 500 different references, not direct quotes, but Old Testament references in Revelation wouldn't want to try to understand Revelation without having a pretty good grasp of the Old Testament. And that's true with all of the Bible. The deeper you go, the more you realize is there you will never exhaust the material in the Bible for two reasons. One, because it comes out of the heart of an infinite God. And two, because you're always going to be changing what you do and everything that you do in your life, it's going to mean a lot more than it used to mean when you're going through that thing you're going through. That's why the Bible is such a wonderful and rich book. It's all variegated. It's all interrelated. It's a series of stories that are really one grand story, one grand narrative that's moving forward. I can prove this to you. Would you like me to do that? If you open to Genesis chapter 1, don't do that right now. Just trust me on this one. Yeah, it's going to start. It's going to sound like a story. It's going to sound like this. In the beginning, that's how the thing begins. When you get to the end and you get to the second from the last chapter of the Bible, if you read it, it almost sounds like, and they all lived happily ever after. It's a description of the eternal state and the glory of the eternal state and the joy of the eternal state. And God is now not separated from man, but living with man. It starts in a garden. It ends in a cosmic garden. It's a grand story. It's all one great, beautiful story. And every story you ever loved Every film you ever loved kind of has its roots in the kind of story that came spilling out of the heart of God that we call our Bible. And so for those reasons, you don't just cherry pick, you know, inspirational quotes from the Bible and apply them to your life. That's not the best way to handle the Bible. And we're not doing that. Now, here's a third caution. Caution one, get the backstory, immediate context. Caution two, get the big story. Where is this in the grand narrative of redemption, the unfolding drama of redemption, one great writer called it? The third thing is this, and that is don't treat the Bible, don't treat the Bible uh, in a distant way, but, but um, open your heart to it. Open your heart to the Bible. Uh, now, Billy Collins, how many of you have heard of Billy Collins? Billy Collins was once the poet laureate of the United States. He usually likes to introduce himself that way. 
a bit of a wry wit. He's a poet. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, that sounds boring. Well, I feel sorry for you. Anyway, Billy Collins wrote a poem about poetry. And when I read it, I thought, that is how people ought to treat the Bible. So Collins is saying when he tries to teach people poetry, sometimes all they want to do is tie it to a chair and beat it with a hose in order to find the meaning. Just beat the meaning out of it. Uh, we, we sometimes approach the Bible like it's not great literature that spills out of the heart of an infinite God. We treat it like, okay, let's just get to the bottom of this and let's get the meaning as quickly as we can without any, you know, without any uh, fooling around. Here's what Collins said in a, in a poem called Introduction to Poetry. If you don't like poetry, go to sleep for 30 seconds. I asked them to take a poem and hold it up to the light like a color slide. I asked them to take a poem and press an ear against its hive. I asked him, I say, drop a mouse into the poem and watch him probe his way out. Walk, uh, walk inside the room of a poem and feel around the walls for the light switch. I, I want them to water ski across the surface of a poem, waving at the author's name from the shore. But all they want to do is tie the poem to a chair with a rope and torture a confession out of it. They begin beating it with a hose to find what it really means. Now, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say this. The Bible is a living book written by God, and he's aware, very aware, that, his, that the Spirit is living in you or working in you, if you don't know the Lord yet. And, and you can, it's like you can lay your ear on the chest of God and hear the heartbeat of God through the Bible. The Bible is the living word of God. And so it's good, it matters, it matters to you right now. And whatever you're going through, God knows what you're going through. God knows what's breaking your heart, what you're afraid of. He knows your weaknesses and he knows your strengths. And the Bible is just a living book, so I'm just saying, open your heart to it. And all the various pieces of the Bible have these deep connections, as we've already said, you know, the Bible is, a lot of it is narrative. In other words, a lot of it is story, which I am happy about because story is easy for me. And maybe for all of us, we love our stories, don't we? And then some of the Bible is poetry that's really connected with the story. It spills out of the story, the, the, the wisdom literature, the poetry of the Bible. And, and some of the Bible is discourse, right? It's someone is speaking and the speaking is recorded like, for instance, the book of Matthew has in it, the arrangement of Matthew is just so beautiful. It's, it's woven in and out of five discourses of Jesus. And in between, he'll say something, and then you'll see him doing it, and then he'll say it, and then he'll do it, and he'll say it, does it five times. It's beautiful. It's, it's actually, you wouldn't know it the, on your first reading, but it's very sophisticated in its literary structure. The Bible's like that. A child can read the Bible and get the truth of the Bible and a scholar can never mind the depths of the Bible. And so you'll never mind the bottom of God's truth. So let me get right at it now and just share some of the treasures of my heart that God, over the years, what's happened is, I've, is I have given attention to my Bible as I have walked with God. Some things have come out of that during circumstances of my life that have made those parts of the Bible a treasure to me. And the beauty about it, the treasure is that's the kind of treasure like you can give it away to somebody else and you still have it yourself. And so I want to give you maybe three per Sunday or so. Um, and uh, I'll give you three today as the time allows. Take your Bibles and for the first one of these treasures from my heart, and I'll give you three today and they're related 
They have to do with the Bible. And look in the, the Bible, in the wisdom literature of the Bible, in the book of Proverbs, near the center of your Bible, book of Proverbs. And to begin, look in chapter 2 of Proverbs, and it tells us a little bit about the disposition that we should have toward God's Word, toward the Bible. How should we feel about the wisdom that God has given us in the Bible? Well, it's speaking to young men, and it says in Proverbs 2, 1, my son, if you receive my words, if you treasure up my commandments with you, watch the verbs here, if you receive my words, if you treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, and if you, yea, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures then you will understand the fear of the lord and find the knowledge of god if you my son if you receive my words and if you treasure them do you see that what treasure should you have in your heart treasures from god's word truth from god's word experienced in your own life in a way that you can always go back and say, like the elderly lady in the rest home, and the pastor calling her one day, she had little places in her Bible all over called TP, TP. She had put TP all over her Bible. He said, what does this mean, TP? She said, that's a part that's tried and proven. You want your Bible to have that all over it, and then your heart will be a treasure of good things. Now, here's the first treasure, and that is this. Live by the word. Live by the word. In Proverbs in chapter 14 and verse 12, here's what it says. Proverbs 14 and verse 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. What I'm getting at is this. Here's the, here's the first treasure from my heart I want to share with you, and that is this. This is a treasure. Learn to live by the word. In other words, you are not smarter than God. I probably sh- probably didn't need to tell you that, right? But sometimes we think we are. We think, well, that's what the Bible says, but I, uh, but but I, but it doesn't, you know, but that that may be true. And and, and then we try to wrestle our way away from, listen, the Bible has spoken in, and God has spoken in the Bible and he's smarter than you. He's, he's nicer than you. He's better than you. He's more, he's everlasting and he's good and holy and right and true and perfect. And you can build your life on the promises of God. That's what I'm getting at. This is a treasure. This might be the most important thing, and that is when you you say you're a follower of Jesus, the Jesus that you're following is the Jesus of the Bible. We wouldn't know what he taught or what he was about if we didn't read his written word. Live by the book and never believe that you are smarter than God. Don't twist on the Bible. Don't decide parts of the Bible aren't going to apply to you. Rightly understand the Bible. Don't, Don't rest it out of context and do weird stuff with it. But when you understand thoroughly what the Bible actually says then live by the book. You can, you can build your life on the promises of God, and you must never yield to the temptation that you are smarter than God. And here's a little bit how this works. What Jesus said in Matthew 4 and verse 4 is, uh, th- th- then it's a quote from the Old Testament, man shall not live by bread alone, but by, by, by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So we know that our life depends on our regular consumption of the word. God, track with me. This is serious. This is uh, real practical. You, you don't want to go read the Bible every day. I mean, I know your Sunday school teacher is a nice lady or guy or whatever, but you don't want to do it just because they're nice 
or just because some pastor told you that's what Christians are supposed to do. You don't read your Bible every day just to check the box and to feel a little spiritual thing. It's because your life depends on it that the Word of God must be change your whole worldview, color everything you do, and, and, and literally in a positive way brainwash you. God's Word should be what you believe and what you live by. And, this, and, and so when Jesus said, your life depends on the Word every day, did you ever think of this? And this has been helpful to me. So has, doesn't Satan have a, a, a substitute for everything God has? Right? He, does, he, has a, he has a counterfeit for everything good that God has, right? Right? He has a counterfeit. And so he has a counterfeit for this. Your life depends on you getting truth from God's word every day. God will give you truth from his word as you read his word. And that truth, is because of the powerful, sovereign work of God, that truth that you get from his word is going to correspond with whatever you need and with whatever you're going, for, going through in your life. And it's going to give you what you need for life for that day, just like your food every day. And so you want to be in the Word every day, or you want to draw to your mind Scripture every day, because God, the Spirit, is going to apply the Bible to what it is you're going through. It's almost like you can take your day planner, and, the, and, the, and, and it's going to, some of the stuff that's not in your day planner, that's going to happen to you, God's Word is going to correspond with that, and that's going to give you life as you, as you obey God's Word. And Satan has a counterfeit for that. And that would be what I call the daily lie, right? If you, if you listen to your own heart, you, you'll hear little lies that you will tell yourself, or they come from somewhere, stuff that just isn't quite true. That is not like one that pops in my mind right now. It's like a man could say, well, if my lust is secret, it really doesn't matter, right? Who's going to know? I have secret lust in my mind, right? And I'm thinking about somebody else's wife or daughter, but nobody's going to know, right? Because it's secret. It's in my mind. Is that truth or a lie? That's a lie. How do we know? Because God's word says, if you look upon a woman to lust after her in your heart, you've already committed adultery in your heart. God knows your heart. It's a lie. You don't want to believe that's harmless. It's not harmless. Just one little example. Or, or maybe it might come to your mind someday, I need to take this into my own hands. I can't trust them with this. I need to take this. That might be a lie. Right? It might be true. It might be a lie. Every, every thought that comes through. Here's the, the point I'm making is that if Satan knows that our life depends on us believing the Word of God and, and acting daily in obedience to the Word of God, and he's going to give us lies. If you want to help somebody, figure out the lies they're believing. If you're a dad or a grandfather, you should know the lies that your wife would be tempted to believe. You should know the lies that each of your children would be tempted to believe. You should try to make a study of the lies that each of your grandchildren would be tempted to believe so that in whatever way God gives you, you can wisely drop truth into their life or at least pray against those lies. Satan will try to kill you. He's a thief, right? He wants to come to, to steal and kill and destroy. In John 10, 10 and John 8, says he's a liar the father of lies, he's a murderer. He wants to kill you, he wants to destroy you. He wants to crush your life by putting things in your mind that are not true. And the way to keep that from happening is to saturate your mind with things that the Bible says are true. This is a treasure. You saturate your mind and heart so your, med your daily meditations are, the, your default is to back. What does the God's word say? No matter what, how I feel, what other people say, your mind should go back to that. Let me give you an example. I, I was discouraged once 
It was uh, actually a year ago in October, and this is unusual for me. I, I'm a sanguine type. I, I feel pretty happy most of the time. I'm walking, and one morning on my walk, I, I'm like, why is my spirit so troubled? Why am I wrestling with discouragement? You know, often I think, is there a bill I haven't paid? Is there a responsibility that I haven't taken care of? Is there somebody I've hurt? I haven't made it right. Have I neglected something? There's something clouding my soul, troubling my soul. I'm discouraged. And as I thought about it, I thought, here's why I'm discouraged. I, I felt like there was a growing number of people who were against me. Kind of, what I do is kind of public, and people tend to kind of judge it every week. And, and I kind of felt like there's a growing number of people who are against me. I'm like, yeah, that's true. And that, that's where, in my heart, I thought, that's why I'm feeling discouraged. It just feels like I have people, a growing number of, of people who are against me. And that troubled me. I asked some friends if they would pray for me. And then that night, I remember that I went to bed with a heavy heart, just with this feeling that there was a growing number of people that were against me, and that's why I was discouraged. And I asked the Lord to help me. It was the second of the month. So I woke up in the morning and went in over into my study, and I took my Bible. My heart was still kind of heavy, and I have a habit of reading the psalm that corresponds with the day. And I opened my Bible to Psalm 3 that morning because it was the third. Now understand, here's what was going on in my heart, right? I, my, I was discouraged. I was bowed down with discouragement because I felt like people were against me. And then this is what Psalm 3 said that morning. Oh, Lord, how many are my foes. Many rise up against me. Many say of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield about me. My glory, I'm the one who lifts up my head. <laughs> so tears leaped into my eyes and my heart began to beat fast. It's like, like God was speaking directly to me that morning. Many are those who've risen up against me, God. They're saying of my soul, there's no help for him in God. But he says, you, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, the lifter up of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord. He answered me out of his holy hill. Now listen to this. I laid down and slept, but when I awoke, the Lord sustained me, and I will not be afraid of thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. I, here's what I believe. I believe this with all my heart. And if you read Christian biography, you'll see this all through people who had a heart for God. And that is God speaks to us through his word specifically at specific times in specific ways. He gives us guidance by bringing his word specifically into our life at a specific time. And call it whatever you want to. It's the common experience of people who have affections for God and who walk with God. God wants to speak to you through his word. So get the word open. Saturate your heart with the word of God. I had another time. Can I give you another illustration of this? I had another time when I had a prayer request that was really important. It was a big prayer request, and I would lay down on my bed at night, and I would tell God about this prayer request. Lois and I both were very burdened about this, and sometime we'll tell you the whole story. It's an interesting story, but, but let me give you this piece of it. So I'm, I'm laying in my bed, and then when Lois is home, I'm praying silently, and she happened to be out of town, and so I was praying out loud. And it's kind of like this. I was saying, Lord, you know. And it was a big financial need that I had. And it's like, Lord, you know I don't have any right to ask you for this. Because I probably could have handled my finances better in the past. And then I wouldn't need this. You know, it's that kind of thing. It's almost like I'm saying to God, God, I don't have any right to ask you for this. 
but I need you to help me. And then over and over again, it would come back to my heart, a passage of Scripture would come into my mind. It's a lovely passage. It's one I love very much, and, uh, and I'm sure you do too. It's Psalm 103. It would come to my mind over and over again, uh, as a father pities his children, as a, as a father pities his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. That's just the passage that would come into my mind. Whenever I would pray, I would almost, I would say, Lord, I really need help with this, but I know I don't deserve it. Like, I should have had, like, a plan for this. I should have saved up. I should have had investments for this. I should have had this covered. I knew it was coming, you know, but I didn't. So I feel like you could easily say to me, I already gave you that money, but you wasted it on books or something, you know. And then, and then it would be like, well, it'd be like, well, I know who you are. I know who you are. And you're still my son. You're still my child. God met that need in a miraculous way. In a powerful way. I promise you, my grandchildren will all tell the story of how God met that need for us. He's, and I'm not special. I'm just really needy. Let me give you a second treasure here. The first one is that, live by the word, live by the word. And don't ever yield to the temptation to believe that you are smarter than God. Live by the word and daily get life from truth from the word. Uh, Here's a second one. Look in your Bible in Colossians chapter 2. Or scroll to Colossians chapter 2. But you do want to see this. You want to make a note of this. You want to see this. I remember when this truth jumped out to me. I've been, I had been using a version of the Bible that, that was obscure in this passage. It was just obscure. The, the, it, it, I, many times since then, I've read that version of the Bible to people, and I've asked them, what do you think that means? And they can never tell me. It's just, it was just obscure. Uh, this summer, two or three times, I was consulting with churches, and I would say, open your Bible to this passage, read it. Now, somebody tell me what it means. Nobody could tell me. We're talking about Christian leaders sitting around a table because this particular version of the Bible, which is lucid and clear and beautiful and majestic in other ways, is just really foggy in this one, and it wasn't clear. But I was in a conference one day, and I was thinking about how do I raise my family? And I was thinking about there's a couple ways you could, you could do this. You could just say, what does the Bible say? And just do what the Bible says and train your kids to do what the Bible says. Or, or you could just, to be safe, you could add some rules on top of that that might be helpful. Because, I mean, after all, we live in a really dark age, and it's really dangerous out there. Maybe we should just have some extra rules in our family. And I had some Christian teachers that said, that's what you should do. If there's any doubt, there's no doubt. I mean, just, to, just stay as far away from evil as you can. Logically, they... they but, but they hadn't biblically supported that because you can't support that biblically because that's actually wrong. And so here, here's the truth. We'll get to it, and I'll show you in, in Colossians. Don't ever subtract from the Bible, right? And don't ever, yeah, don't ever add to the Bible. Now listen, if you're raised like I was, and I'm glad for the way I was raised, glad with all my heart for the way I was raised, we were big on never subtract from the Bible. Never take anything away. We believed the whole thing. We were good on that, Right? We weren't so good sometimes, or, or sometimes I wasn't so good. I'm not saying, well, just to be safe, because, I mean, after all, I am a spiritual basket case, so I should add some extra stuff here. Because I'm a basket case, my kids might be basket cases too. You know, I'm weird, they're probably going to be weird too. 
I'm weak. They're going to be weak. I'm, I'm afraid. Uh, so I add some stuff. And then this pastor, David Warren uh, from, from Ohio, and I was in Ohio, and David was preaching on this very text. And here's what he, told, he said. He said that he went up north in Michigan to the UP, to Copper Harbor, up in the UP. And he said he noticed that there were lights in Copper Harbor because there were, when the ships came into Copper Harbor, there was a very narrow passage, and you could crash the ship on either side. And so the lights would warn you not to stray to the left or to stray to the right. And, and uh, Dr. Warren said that frequently in the Bible, in the Old Testament and New, we get the same warning. Don't crash on the left. Don't crash on the right. Don't take away. Don't add to. Here's a treasure from my heart that has helped me in my parenting and in my pastoring and my personal life. And that is this. Don't ever subtract from what the Bible says, but don't add to it. Now to the text, to the text. This is what it says there when, when uh, Paul is writing to the Colossians. He's warning them of something that happened a lot of times. In Christian communities, there would be the, the kind of the uh, invasion of uh, Jewish ceremonialism, Jewish legalism. And this was the kiss of death. This was bad. Jesus fought against it. The apostles fought against it. And they wrote against it. There's a warning against it on almost every page of the New Testament. Legalism is a form of sin. Like the amen right there would have been great. Somebody should have said amen. Legal, I'll give you another chance. Legal, my wife says I shouldn't do this. So forget I said that. But legalism is a form of sin. Doesn't matter if you say amen. It's true. It's bad to take away from the scripture. It's deadly to take away from the Scripture. It's distorted. It's bad. It's deadly. It's sinful to add to the Bible. It's bad when you do that. Okay, so that's why it says here, don't handle, verse 21, don't taste, don't touch, submitting to regulations. If Christ, going back to 20, I'm sorry. If Christ, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? And here he's talking about these extra-biblical, this dragging back ceremonial laws and, and forcing them on the church, right? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teaching. Now listen to verse 23. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. That is a powerful passage. And when I understood that, when this pastor taught it, I'm like, that was a treasure to my heart, and it changed my life. These things, these things that we add are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. And we all know we have trouble with the indulgence of the flesh. But legalism is not going to be powerful. We've got to have a life of God in us. We have to have a life of God in us. Anyway, so that's a treasure from my heart. We'll talk more about that as you come back. I know you're going to come back week after week, and you're never going to miss any of this. And so I'll talk about that again. So number one is live by the word. Number two is don't add to it, don't take away from it. Number three is this, train your soul to delight in his word. Train your soul to delight in his word. Now, this is, the scriptures are full of this, and especially when you use references to the law of God over and over again. He, Paul said, he quoted it in Romans chapter 7, I delight after the law of God, according to my inward person, I delight in the law of God. David said it over and over again, men and women who love God delight in the law of God. They love the law of God. They delight, they, they actually, it's like a source of joyful delight to them. I was thinking about that yesterday, I was watching, Big Ten is cleaning house. 
They are cleaning house. Michigan has got the task. Now, there, there are seven Big Ten teams have won in postseason play. I've got to get out of the pulpit for this for a second. Seven Big Ten teams have won in postseason play. It's up to the blue now to clean up the eighth team they play tomorrow. I was thinking about yesterday. I was thinking about it takes three and a half hours to watch one of those games. And all the things I could get done in three and a half hours. I decided after tomorrow, I'm not watching any college football until September. That's just it. No more. I, I, I got to tell you that when I watch a game, there's a little bit of delight in it. I'm like, oh, did you see that? Sometimes the girls are in the room, and I'm like, did you see that? They're just looking blankly like, this doesn't involve Mr. Darcy. It's not interesting to me, you know. I'm like, okay. What is it that you delight in that gives you a little soul? You're looking for, oh, yeah, the game's tomorrow. Oh, I'm looking forward to that trip. Do you realize that, that according to the scriptures, God wired us in such a way that there's a satisfaction and delight in God communicating himself to us in his word. His word can be a delight to our souls. And you want to cultivate that. You say, well, I like delight in football more. I know, see, that's weak. We need to, we need to help each other in this. Because when heaven burst open to our, to our view, and when we see the glory of God and the throne of God and, and, the, and, the, and the holy angels worshiping and, and, the, and the church of the firstborn, and, and when we realize the things that really mattered, we're going to want to be all practiced up in delighting in the stuff that we really ought to delight in. Hmm. Train your soul to delight in the word. Cultivate a lifelong, and this is what it says in Psalm, many places, but I'm thinking about Psalm 19. Of course, you know, the first chunk of Psalm 19 talks about general revelation and, and God's creation, but then it pulls us into specifics about the Bible. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The precepts, the commandments of the Lord are pure. They enlighten the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And then it just goes, it bursts into this, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey. The drippings of the honeycomb, moreover by them your servant is warned, in keeping of them, there is great reward. And would you like to avoid the great transgression that melts down your life and ruins your testimony and breaks your heart? Would you like to avoid that? This is how. Who can discern her errors? Small sins. Verse 12. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. That's secret sins. Keep your servant back from presumptuous sins. That's habitual sins. Let them not have dominion. Those are life-dominating sins. You see what happens? You allow small sins. They become secret sins. They become habitual sins. They become life-dominating sins. And then it says, then I will be innocent of the great transgression. That's when you melt your life down through something that just is going to damage the generations after you. You don't want that, right? How do you avoid that? By delighting in God's Word. That's what Psalm 19. We'll teach that thoroughly someday. But just for today, let me just say this to you, and that is, it's a new year, and Christians often refresh their Bible reading and their Bible meditation. And that's a good thing, and I'd recommend that to you. Because we want to be people who love God and love his word and delight in his word. And that's going to be good, good, and good. That's the treasure of your heart. Cultivate a lifelong delight. Billy Graham is an exemplary Christian, would you not agree? He's in his 100th year. We should probably listen to guys like Billy Graham when they talk about what they think about life if they lived a hundred faithful years for God. Here's what Billy Graham says he would do if he had his life to live over again. He says, and he said this a number of times, there are three things he said he would do. 
One of them is the major thing. He said one of the things he would do if he had his life to live over again, he said he'd travel less and be more with his family. He'd spend more time. He says, he didn't need to take all of my meetings that I took. I, I would spend more time with my people, my family. The second thing he said is, I would, I would be more engaged in a cluster of local Christians. But the thing he, you'll hear him say over and over again, it's really interesting. And he'll say, he, say, he says it with pathos. He says it with a beautiful pathos when he says it quietly says, if I had my life to live over again, I would spend more time in the devotional study of God's word just between, just to have intimacy with the Lord. Billy Graham says, I would spend more time in the Bible. Let me give you a practical suggestion about how you can uh, spend more time in the Bible this year. You may have your own plan, and that's wonderful. Here's an idea if you don't. This is my favorite. And um, so, maybe pieces of it. I, I, and, and you don't have to do it this way, but here's what I do. Buy a new Bible. Does that sound like fun? Buy a nice new Bible. And if you can't afford, just get a Bible. But buy a Bible. Buy a new Bible. And, and buy some pens or markers, some highlighters. That's always kind of fun. Get yourself a new Bible. Get a version that's a good version, that's a, a readable version, that's an accurate version. Get a, a version maybe you haven't read before. You know, buy a copy of the New King James or the ESV or the NIV or the New American Standard or the New Living. Those are great translations of the Bible. I left out your favorite, sorry. Get a copy of the Bible that um, it may be fresh to you or just buy a new, buy a new Bible. That's just, that'll be fun right there. Pastor said I need to buy a new Bible. I only have 74 of them, but um, buy a new Bible and get some pens and markers. Now, now, now here, here um, every day, just take your, this is called the Move the Ribbon Bible reading plan. You have a ribbon in your Bible, and you start at the beginning here. There's a lot of different ways of doing this. And then read until the, the, something warms your heart, and write that down. And every day, don't stop reading until something warms your heart, until something captures your thought, your imagination, something touches you deeply. Maybe God is speaking to you. Maybe God is preparing you for something. Maybe God is comforting you. Maybe you're going to need some strength. Maybe you're going to be tempted in a dark way, and God is preparing you for that temptation. God will give you life through his word. Then you move the marker. The next day, it doesn't matter how far you read, maybe one day you get distracted and you watch too much football. Your pastor hasn't been a good example to you. So you didn't read. Get up the next morning and go, Lord, hey, I'm sorry I neglected your word. Start at where the ribbon is. Okay? Read until something warms your heart market. Your goal should be that when you go through your Bible, every page of that Bible has something marked that touched your heart, that warmed your heart, that warned you. See what I'm saying? Take a Bible, mark it right up, full of things where God has spoken to you. When you get to the end of a book, take a little pen and mark your progress and put the date when you finish that book. And if it takes you two and a half years to read through the Bible, or if it takes you two and a half months to read through the Bible, it doesn't matter so much. Just keep moving. You're going to get through some stuff that's going to be deep waiting. Just move faster. Don't, it's really a great idea to move quickly through the Bible. You can always come back and you can drill down, and, but it's always a good idea. Just, just move quickly, and especially pieces that you're like, just keep moving. And so move the ribbon and date the books. That's just a suggestion that I have. Well, hey, I'll have more treasures from my heart in the future. I heard of a pastor. His name was Fred. And Fred went to the hospital one day. And he's calling this lady in his church. He loved her. She was a dear lady in his church. She, 
she had a lot of good qualities. One of the things that she did was she gardened. Oh my goodness, she was a gardener. And she was one of those women that when she gardened and she gathered all that stuff, she canned it. Spent hours just taking all that beautiful produce from the garden and canning it. And she had a cellar. She'd go down into the basement, into the cellar, and she had it lined with shelves. And it was like a work of art down there. When you go down to that basement and you look on those shelves, there would be all that produce from the garden in the summertime that lined year after year, just, I mean, beautiful. Her cellar was so full. She was really good at gardening. She was really good at canning. She wasn't very diligent with her Bible. She tended to spend more of her time with like People magazine, kind of gossip rags. That was her weakness. So now she went to the hospital and she's going to have a major surgery. Another pastor whose name was Fred came to visit her and she was filled with anxiety. She was so afraid. And the pastor knew her well. And he said to her, you know, when I come over to your house, he said, you will go down in the cellar and you will go get those green beans out of the cellar that grew in the summertime. And you will bring those green beans up on the table, open them up and heat them up. And, and we eat those. It's like you brought springtime to the table out of the basement. It's like you brought springtime to the table out of the cellar. You'll get peaches out of the cellar. And you'll bring them up. It's like we're eating summertime. He says, you know what the problem is right now? Here it is. It's wintertime in your soul. And you don't have anything in your cellar spiritually. Hey, let's not let that happen to us. Let's treasure God and treasure his word. And let's gather treasures of our heart. Stand together as we sing. We need the Lord. Let's sing about that.